to Just Ghouly Things. Hey, Boo Things, and welcome back to Just Ghouly Things, and we are your beautiful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. So, this is probably the 16th time we've <laughs> done this intro in the past two hours. <laughs> now, we can't give too much details of why we had to recite this beginning 16 times, but it isn't for just ghouly things. Let's just say um, I've made my grand return into showbiz, and Rebecca and I are united once again. Hint, hint. That Wink. was some ASMR clinking with some energy drinks. Wait, what's this? this. <laughs> but yeah, so um, one of our boothings actually reached out to us for a project that they were working on and wanted us to be a part of it, and we can't wait to tell you more details when we are allowed to, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Let's just say it was really fun. It was it really was fun. fun. We Last time Lily and I acted together was... Nine years ago. Holy shit, talking mushrooms. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Yeah, nine years ago. So... It was well overdue. And um, our acting has not improved. <laughs> I think mine got worse. Mine actually, like, like, like yours is just as good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm rusty. I remember. Rusty spoon. Did I ever tell you the last audition I went on ever? No. Or like the second to last. So the last actual acting audition I went on. I went on some other like kind of different auditions after that. But the last acting audition I went on, I so it got to the point, I'm sure you've experienced this, where you go to an audition or you submit yourself online and they ask for your, pr- primarily your Instagram handle and how many followers you have. Yes. They actually ask for your amount of followers. Because that gauges your amount of talent. Yeah, well, here's the thing. They don't have to worry about hyping you up to build a fan base anymore. Like, yes. you know, it used to be when they were coming out with a movie, if they were casting someone unknown, they had to, like, train them for interviews and PR stuff mm-hmm. and... All that shit. Now it's like people come with a fan base. They're saving millions and they're saving time and time is money. Some instilled marketing. Yeah, love that for them. Anyways, I walked into an audition once and I was like kind of starting to get like over the whole like acting thing and thinking like maybe I wanted to, I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but... I walk into this audition and there's all, all the girls there automatically are taller than me, but I had submitted my resume online. So they knew how tall I was Mm. at the time. I think I'm five, four now, but I was five, three back then. And all these girls are like your height and taller. Like they're sitting in the casting room chairs and their feet are touching the ground. A rarity for me. (laughs) So I walk in and they're all super tall and have like this really long hair. And this woman walks up to, and I was like, hey, like, I'm here. Where should I give my resume? And she looked at me up and down and went, you can go. No, she did not. Absolutely she, not. Absolutely not. She looked at, so she looked at my resume and she looked at me up and down and went, you can go. Lily can't even finish the word. She literally said, you can go. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, well, and like, you know, you still say thank you. So I was like, oh, okay, uh, thanks. <laughs> what the fuck am I? And I got on a train and I went home. You did a whole commute just to be told you can go. And then I called my mom crying from Penn Station. And there, this happened a couple of times after like calls at, um, 
you know Pearl Studios, right? Like yeah. walking distance from the train station. I remember one time I was in an audition. This is showbiz, people. There was this girl who I thought was just beautiful. She had like long blonde hair. Like she looked like a Disney princess. Like literally, she gave off like Disney princess vibes. Like I'm tall. She was wearing like blue too and then blonde hair. Okay. So it was very that. And I remember like looking at her and being like, that's like, that's the one who like I need to look out for. We both get cut and she's outside of Penn Station crying into the phone. And I'm outside of Penn Station crying into the phone. And she's like, you know what, mom, I'm just never going to audition for anything again. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to give up on my dreams. And I'm having like the same conversation. Soul just, sisters bonded by breakdowns. We just both kind of look at each other and we're both crying and just kind of like farting. I can't believe I never told you that. It's not really something you uh, start a uh, conversation with. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's one of the things that in the moment was so sad because there's just like these two promising young women crying over something that was like nothing. It was worthless, yeah. you know? And we were both sitting, and I remember because I thought she was so beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh, like her, like she's going to be the one that's mm-hmm. going to like make it to the next round, the next round. And then she got cut and I was like, well, shit, <laughs> Okay, bye. But this is when, like, I tell people all the time that ask me, like, if it's worth it to get into the entertainment industry. And I think you can agree is you can't take this stuff personal. No, not at all. It could be you have the wrong eye color. It could be that the person's just having an off day. And if maybe you came in two hours before, maybe they would have chosen. I mean, there's so many different factors that come into play that you have no control over. You have to be, like, tough. You know what I mean? You can't. Like you said, you can't take things personally, and you can't give up. Um, that being said, I did give up. But <laughs> but it's, I feel like you learn a lot about it, too. Like, you learn how to support yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, because I never really, like, I always had, you know, good a good support system, but I never knew how to, like, be there for myself. Yeah. And it really teaches you, like, when you go into a room alone, an audition room, and nobody knows anyone. Yeah. And you know that there's like three people ahead of you, mm-hmm. like sitting at a little table, just watching your every move. And you're like, well, shit, who's here for me now? Like you only have yourself. Yeah. And it kind of teaches you that bit of you need to be your own biggest fan or else no one's going to believe that they, sh- that they could follow. You know? Definitely. And I would like to say that the uh, solution, the main answer on how to book every audition that you go for mm-hmm. is an unsolved mystery. It's the worst I know. Ever. How about <clears throat> why Rebecca and I aren't internationally famous is an unsolved <laughs> mystery. Um, oh, I, I, was, I got caught up in that. I, I couldn't come up with another one. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, Anyways, back to what we do and why we do it. So we podcast now. Um, I do it because it doesn't require my face. And Rebecca does it because her voice is smooth as silk. The reason why Michael doesn't bring me home Wendy's every night for dinner <laughs> is an unsolved mystery. God, I love Wendy's. I love Wendy's too. What's your favorite thing to get? Like, if, okay, right now we're going to Wendy's. What are you getting? Oh my God! Right, right now, I would get, I would just get chicken nuggets and barbecue sauce with a strawberry lemonade on the side. 
Ooh, strawberry lemonade sounds good. Oh my god, have you ever had their strawberry lemonades? No, at not Wendy's. There. Not there. Oh my god, they put little bits of strawberry in it. So you actually like taste? Probably it. frozen strawberry, but yeah, like there's strawberry in oh, okay. it. Okay. What about you? Um. Okay, I'm a baconator girl. Oh, I love but baconator. I can totally go for the four for four. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yep, and get the junior bacon cheeseburger there, um, with chicken nuggets, ranch, mm-hmm. and the French fries are bomb. Oh my god. Now, if you could only have one type of fry for the rest of your life, would you get it from Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, Burger King, or McDonald's? Oh, God. Okay, Chick-fil-A's out. Burger, You're not Team Chick-fil-A? I'm not Team Chick-fil-A. At all. I am as against Chick-fil-A as I am Hobby Lobby, I have to okay, say. Okay, so this is based on their values. Yes. Okay. I've actually, I had Chick-fil-A once when I was visiting, I was visiting my friend in South Carolina at school and he had a chick-fil-a on campus of course it's like you know south carolina and it was really good but it wasn't like i wasn't like you know like he took we kept on walking around campus and i wasn't like still thinking about it you know what i mean like we had our chick-fil-a it was good and then I just kind of was like, oh, what's that building? You know? So if it wasn't Chick-fil-A in their values and it was like Chick-fil-A agnostic, um, would you like... <laughs> Chick-fil-A agnostic! <laughs> would, you, would you reconsider your opinion on the quality of the chicken sandwich or the chicken tenders or whatever you got? Okay, I got chicken nuggets and waffle fries. And I would... I feel like it would be the type of thing where if other people were going, I'd get something... But, like, I, I would still be Team Wendy's. You know, like, it wouldn't turn me. It, I wouldn't be like, oh, yes, like, there, you know what I mean? Like, when, I, when we were in Iowa, there was a Chick-fil-A by the airport. And the line was around the building. And I just don't, like, I don't get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Now, if I was, if I was with, like, a group of people and I was outnumbered, right? Or if I didn't, you know, like, know what I know about them and other people wanted it, I'd go along with it because it's not overtly bad. Yeah. You know, it's not like nasty, gross, or like it do- they don't seem like an unsanitary chain, yeah. right? But I still wouldn't be like super, I wouldn't be one of the people who made the executive decision for Chick-fil-A. Okay. You know? You do have to say their customer service is above. above That's what I've heard. Average, yeah. Like they're, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, well-mannered. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've, like I said, I've only been the one time and we walked there, but I did see a TikTok of, um, someone was like, they had a set, they formed like a second line and had like people running around. So like, that's good, right? Their yeah. customer service is good because, and like, those aren't the people in charge. You know yeah. what I mean? You always have to, you always have to think like, if you're judging someone based off of like their job. You have to realize that there's it, it, it's not the, the people that are working there necessarily that are the problem. It's the higher ups. Oh yeah, I had a woman. Um, at, I got to make a living. I had a woman at the bank complain to me about this new thing we're doing with debit cards, and I was like, Oh, well, wasn't that your executive decision? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, they put the 24 year old with an anxiety disorder and undiagnosable illness <laughs> in charge. They said, Yeah, put her in charge. She's she seems to know exactly what she's doing. Well, wait. Going back to those uh, sandwiches, um, right. I think the most, um, I, I think the most overrated chicken sandwich of all time is that Popeyes chicken sandwich. Have you had that? I've had it, and it is good for what you pay. Someone got stabbed and killed over it. Can we talk about 
Popeye? That's something I would do. For the, for the Popeye's chicken Not sandwich. the Popeye's, but the Burger King long chicken sandwich. That is pretty slap. That, I would, I would absolutely pull a blade on someone. <laughs> for legal reasons, I need to say I'm joking. Um, for complete legal reasons. Only, totally so... <laughs> no, I, um, no, no chicken sandwich is worth being stabbed over unless you're stabbing someone dressed as a chicken sandwich who's trying to stab you. Fair. You know what I mean? Like, I would totally stab Fair a chicken case. sandwich if it was, like, chasing me. Yeah. yeah. Like, in self-defense, it's okay Fair to stab game. for chicken sandwiches. <laughs> but, no, um, back to the French fries. I would have to pick either Wendy's or McDonald's. Yeah. What about you? I mean, McDonald's fries are one of a kind, but I just feel like the whole package, I would have to just... Wendy's just has that crispiness to them. They do. It's like the ends are crispy. Yes. But like the inside is soft. soft. Yes. Yeah. I I mean. And, I, and I'm team Frosty too. At least you know when you go to Wendy's, mm-hmm. the ice cream machine's always working. Yes. <laughs> you, at least you know, there's always that guarantee. That's true. I do. I have to say, I'm not mad at McDonald's when the ice cream machine isn't working only because it makes it that much more exciting when it is working. It's very on brand. I feel yes. like if you were to go somewhere to a McDonald's and you ask for an ice cream and they actually fulfill that order, I feel like that's kind of a knockoff McDonald's. I feel like that's true. Not, that's not that, that's not the full the experience. Brand. Yes. <laughs> else and get a fucking ice cream but i came here to be told and rejected <laughs> that i was not going to be able to get my ice cream when i left exactly that i came here to be rejected <laughs> that's me on every date i go on but <laughs> you know <laughs> i was this gonna is, this has turned into such a shit show i was gonna say something and that's and on brand for just ghouly things exactly oh I, I, did you ever have do you remember the travis scott meal during quarantine when they had the Travis we Scott meal? We talked about that on the podcast, and you went with your mom, right? I did, and it was hilarious. Yes, I we had this talk, yes, because my mom's, like, in her 50s, and, like, can I have the Travis Scott meal, please? I just wish your mom would have asked for the Travis Scott meal and then started playing Travis Scott on full blast in her car. Oh, my God, that would have been amazing. Did you have the – what was the BTS meal? Because I just got into BTS. Okay. Like, so, just now. What was it? it was I like- am not sure, but I actually – I, ne- I never understood the whole, like, hype with K-pop, but, like, I am here for BTS. I didn't think, exactly, like, I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. Yeah. I was like, okay, like, it's K-pop. I don't really listen to, like, super poppy stuff, so, like, I probably won't like it. And then I heard Butter at the Nail Salon by so BTS, and I was like, who's this? And I, you know, Googled it on the way home, and I was like, that's BTS? So I met someone um, who is really into BTS okay. at, um, I don't remember where, but so I asked her cause she was all, all about K-pop. And I was like, listen, I really like, like these BTS songs. What else will I like? And she sent me a 12 hour long K-pop playlist that she made. That she made herself. She had made it. She was like, Lil, here's my ultimate K-pop playlist. Let me know what you think. And I was like, I'm okay. And I opened it up and it was like 12 hours, 48 minutes. What amazes me about BTS is not the performers at this point. It's the fans because they are like, they pay to be these crazy fans. Like they are, Mm -hmm. you, you talk to them and they will literally 
persuade you to become a BTS fan within that conversation. I will tell you more things about the people of BTS than you know about your whole family. That's true because a friend of hers um, who I love, mm-hmm. he heard that I got into BTS and sent me this whole document. I'll show you. It's printed out of fun facts about every member of BTS, like what their thing is, like who's the main rapper, his name is RM, short for Rap Monster, who's the oldest, who's the youngest, and then like his favorite, his favorite K-pop, uh, or yeah, his favorite K-pop songs. So it's all organized. And yeah. And laminated, everything ready to go. I'm so, I'm so excited. I like... This is fairly a fairly recent development in my life, so I do need to get into a couple more K-pops You know what bands. amazes me about BTS, too, is I feel like I, I've seen them. They're very pretty-faced men. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, there is something about them that just doesn't seem real to me. I feel like if any, if any of our celebrity singers, boy bands, or robots, it's them. They are just too like perfect. Like their the way they skin carry is so flawless. They are robotic. It's very and their skin. Like I don't even give a shit about their singing. It's like get, drop your fucking skincare routine. I don't yes. Know, don't drop the album. Drop the skincare <laughs> routine. I was watching one of them and they're out in the sun and their skin is like perfectly glowing. glowing. Yeah, it's like perfectly glowing. It's dewy. It's like, and I'm looking. I'm like, I'm spending so much time and money on skincare and I woke up with two new pimples today. Yeah. And literally, my bags under my eyes are fucking knockoffs from Canal Street. Over yeah, here. from Canal like, Street. <laughs> yeah, I carry luggage under my eyes. I carry like full ass duffel bags full of golf clubs. Like that's the weight <laughs> my under eye bags have. It's terrible. Okay. Wow, that was a lot to unpack. Yeah, how long have we been talking? Um, probably too long. Um, and everyone has stopped listening at this point. <laughs> so we will just record this for ourselves. Um, <laughs> Like I was trying to segue into before Epically Failing, we are going to be talking about Unsolved Mysteries. We've talked about Unsolved Mysteries previously mm-hmm. on Just Goalie Things Podcast. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, so why not, you know, begin Season 4, Episode 2, with some uh, things to make your head spin. Yes, we're bringing it back. I'm so excited for more. I love Unsolved Mysteries. I have to say, like, I'm super into them. I, I was actually kind of torn between a few. Mm-hmm. When you texted me, I my um, initial one was the Lindbergh baby, and then I looked into it, and it turns out a while ago, like they did, they think they found the guy who did it, uh-huh. um, and I was like, do I want to get caught up in a conspiracy theory now, like, or do I want to just? So then I was like, okay, what about whatever happened to Bobby Fisher, the gol- uh, golfer, the chess player, mm-hmm. the like prodigy, yeah. and then I saw, I just what I usually do is I like look up on Wikipedia and just get like, an overview, and then I find out like what else I want to search and then it was like his death in a state and i'm like great so they found him so that one's out yeah and then finally i found mine i asked my mom you know because i wanted to do db cooper the guy from the plane but i didn't have enough time to delve into that and there was a recent development that they think they figured out who it was so we'll do that later hang on tight and i settled mysteries that were then solved Yes! Later solved, either like in like 2020 or 2021, something like I that. I like it, like recently solved. Yeah, so like it's something that most people maybe that listen maybe haven't caught on to. Yet. Ooh, I like it, I like it. Okay, yes, yes. That, stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned, guys. Okay, so anyways, that's what we're doing, Unsolved Mysteries. Um, who's going, me? You're going to go first. Okay, so without further ado, let's actually get to the Unsolved Mysteries. Let's do it! So, 
who I'm talking about today is a young young man, a boy, little boy named Johnny Gosh. Okay. Oh, also, Lily, if you need to scroll down, you could just here. I okay. Just moved your Got it. Okay. So, should I just redo that? No. Who no, cares? You got it. Yeah. So Johnny Gosh was a little uh, boy in Iowa. He was a mm-hmm. paper boy, and this took place in the eighties. So. What I did was I just narrowed it down at first to just the Wikipedia narrative of his disappearance. So on Sunday, December 5th, December 5th, that's my grandpa's birthday, not this. Happy birthday. Uh, Yeah. On Sunday, September 5th, 1982, in the suburb of West Des Moines, which is um, a place in Iowa, and I think it's worth saying Des Moines is kind of like the Manhattan of Iowa. Okay. Right? Especially to my mom. My mom grew up about an hour outside of Des Moines, and, like, here we are about an hour inside of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You know, unless they, like, close bridge lanes. Wink, wink. <laughs> then we're, like, a day out. Anyways. So, Johnny Gosh left home before dawn to begin his paper route. Although it was customary for Johnny to awaken his father to help with the route, the boy took only the family's miniature dachshund Gretchen, Gretchen with him that morning. Other paper carriers for the Des Moines Register would later report having seen Gosh at the paper drop picking up his newspapers. It was the last sighting of Gosh that can be corroborated by multiple witnesses. Mm-hmm. A neighbor named Mike reported that he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in a blue two-toned Ford Fairmont with Nebraska plates. Mike did not know what was discussed because he was observing from his bedroom window. As Gosh headed home, Mike noticed another man following Gosh. Another witness, John Rossi, saw a man in a blue car talking to Gosh and thought something was strange. Quotes, of course. He looked at the license plate but could not recall the plate number. He said, quote, I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see that number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day, but that hasn't happened. Rossi underwent hypnosis and told police some of the numbers and that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. Wow. And um, Des Moines, I think, is Polk County. Okay. I could be wrong. It's either Polk or Story County. John and Noreen Gosh, Johnny's parents, began receiving phone calls from customers along their son's route complaining of undelivered papers. Wow. Imagine (laughs) being one of those people that's like, why isn't my paper delivered? Your son's a failure. And then he's like, gone. (laughs) That's some shit that I would do, though, I have to say. Like, get really pissed at someone and have them be like, yeah, he's actually actively missing. The one, the one time you actually decide to pull a Karen, you, like, pick and choose your battles, and that's the battle you chose. You fucking witch. <laughs> you fucking witch. <laughs> so, that's true. John performed a cursory search of the neighborhood around 6 a.m., he immediately found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The Goshes immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported Johnny's disappearance. And I remember hearing what happens next. I remember hearing that then it was kind of changed. So Noreen, in her public statements and her book, Why Johnny Can't Come Home, has been critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities and of the policy at the time that Gosh could not be classified as a missing person until 72 hours has passed. That was an old thing. And then for a while... 72 hours? And for a while, it was 24. I think they've removed that now. Or maybe it changed in some states. 
But at the time, yeah, you had to wait 72 hours before it can officially be a missing person, even a child. You might as well just call the person dead at that point. Yeah. Like, those are, like, the most prime hours to be looking for somebody. Mm-hmm. Nuts. Yeah. So, by her estimation, the police did not arrive to take her report for a full 45 minutes. So, time isn't of the essence or anything with a missing child. Initially, the police came to believe that Gosh was a runaway, but later they changed their statement and suggested that Gosh was kidnapped, but they were unable to establish a viable motive. Well, I don't know. Maybe just people get kidnapped because other people are sick and know they have 72 hours to rid the body. Yeah. They turned up little evidence and arrested no suspects in connection with the case. Yeah, a few months later, after his September 1982 disappearance, Noreen Gosh said her son was spotted in Oklahoma when a boy yelled to a woman for help before being dragged off by two men. Over the years, several private investigators have assisted the Goshes with the search for their son. Among them are Jim Rothstein, a retired New York City police detective, and Ted Gunderson, a retired chief of the Los Angeles FBI branch. In 1984... Gosh's photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Rafaela Estevez on milk cartons across America. They were the second and third abducted children to have their plights publicized in this way. The first was Eaton Pats. Oh, I remember that case. So something interesting is there are a few different accounts because my mom believes hearing that Johnny Gosh was the first kid on a milk carton. Mm. And I'm talking to her about it. I was like, I don't know, because Wikipedia says this. And then I realized it was Wikipedia. And, mm. you know, it might have changed. Or maybe it started at the same time and there was only, and like, Eaton was the first person to be seen, noticed on a milk carton, or that was the first one in production. And then I realized, like, why are we arguing about this? They're still fucking abducted. Yeah, children. why are we debating over who was first on a milk carton? Like, the kids are staring at themselves at the milk carton. Who said, who gives a fuck? Someone find me. Yes. Like, oh, my gosh. So, here's something interesting, is there were two more disappearances one, two years after Johnny's disappearance, and then two years after the other one. So there was another paper boy. On August 2nd, 1984, Eugene Martin, who also was a Des Moines area paper boy, disappeared under similar circumstances. He disappeared while delivering newspapers in the, on the south side of Des Moines. Authorities were unable to prove a connection between this case and, of course, the third case, who was Mark James Warren Allen. Um, let me see. I lost my place. Yet Noreen Gosh claims that she was personally informed of the abduction a few months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for her son. She was told the kidnapping, quote, would take place the second weekend in August 1984, and it would be a paper boy from the south side of Des Moines. How what? fucked is that? That is so fucked. What is the private investigator of a fucking kidnapper? I mean, hid, hiding in plain sight, yeah. Why is this not being brought to authorities? Well, that's why Noreen Gosh is always so pissed. So, I do want to kind of delve into each individual case because I realized, okay, there's these three kids. Why not elaborate on all three of them? See if we can find anything, any, like, similarities, any discrepancies, right? Okay. So we're going to start with the first one, or at least the first noticed one, right? Johnny Gosh. So his birth name is John David Gosh. Um, He was 12 years old when he went missing. Uh, 
uh, he was Caucasian male, brown hair, blue eyes, and about 140 pounds. So, yeah, West Des Moines, Iowa, Polk County. So he, as far as physical, like, tells, I guess, go, is he had a birthmark on his left left cheek and a horseshoe-shaped scar on his tongue. And he was last seen alive on September 5th, 1982. So, in the case summary on iowacoldcases.org, they state it's a story that shocked communities and catapulted Iowa into the national spotlight. It changed state laws and forever changed the way parents monitor their children's activities. So, he wore a white sweatshirt that day that had Kim's Academy on the back. He had warm-up pants, which I assume must be like sweatpants, mm-hmm. blue rubber flip-flops, and he carried his yellow paper bag. Normally, his father did accompany him, but on this day, he went alone, and wow. he never came home. What happened after that has been the subject of speculation for more than three decades. In a November 11, 2010 interview, the day before Johnny would have celebrated his 41st birthday... Johnny's mother, Noreen, told WHO-TV Channel 13's Aaron Brillback that several other paperboys, all witnesses to the abduction, said Johnny was approached by a man in a blue Ford Fairmont. So now we're wondering if he couldn't be reported missing, mm-hmm. right? At least this is where my brain went. And everyone was giving them all this car information. They know what kind of car to look for, and they're like, well, we can't look for it for... 72 hours, 48 hours, however long. Yeah, we can't prove why this person would want to abduct them. It's like, it doesn't fucking matter. Fucking look into it. Exactly. So we have a quote here. She says, The guy shut off his engine, opened the passenger door, and swung his feet out on the curb, right where the boys were assembling their newspapers. And he started talking about where's 86th Street. Johnny turned to Mike and said, I've got my papers loaded in the wagon. I'm scared. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to head home. As Johnny left, the driver of the car took off too, the boys told police. Quote, the man pulled the door shut and started up the engine, but before he left, he reached up and flicked the dome light three times. Then he pulled out and left, Ms. Gosh said. She said she believed the driver was signaling another person who later grabbed Johnny and that one of the paper boys saw a tall man come out from in between two houses and follow her son. West Des Moines Police Lieutenant Jeff Miller, a rookie cop at the time, told um, the reporter police began scouring the area immediately but hit one wall after another. Quote, they went ahead and called in the staff, Miller said. The troopers, they called in detective reserves, contacted Polk County sheriffs, the state patrol, at that point, they did a door-to-door canvas of that neighborhood trying to find someone who saw something of Johnny. Nothing was found, and they saw nothing at all, said Miller. Noreen Gosh kept meticulous notes about her son's disappearance and documented the first two years in an early chapter. They have no crime, I have no son, the first two years. In a book later published about her unsuccessful efforts to work with police and what it took to finally get law enforcement's attention. So there was at one point a com- like a composite drawing of the suspect. They said the man was five foot nine, 175 pounds with dark eyes, black eyebrows. He was older, early to mid 40s, black hair combed back, 
um, full and back black mustache, heavy beard, or unshaven appearance. He was of Latin appearance. This man may be driving a two-tone blue car, real dark top and light blue bottom, mid-size 79 to 81 model, clean inside and outside, no vinyl top, plush interior with an Iowa plate. So we see some interesting kind of things going on. So on July 1st, 1984, a bill she authored, the Johnny Gosh bill, was passed into law. It mandated immediate police involvement whenever a child went missing and was subsequently adopted by eight additional states. Good. So we're looking at 1984. Want to know what else happened in 1984? Was Eugene Martin went missing? He was a 13-year-old paper boy, and he vanished from the Des Moines South Side on August 12th. So this is a couple weeks after. And not quite two years after Eugene Martin's disappearance was 13-year-old Mark Allen, who told his mother he planned to walk to a friend's house down the street, but he never arrived. And he hasn't been seen since March 29th, 1986. so sad. Yeah, so... Basically, they say that the suspect um, in the disappearance of Eugene Martin was likely a loner. And when we look further into Eugene Martin's case, we see that it was a Sunday morning in 1984, and he left his home at approximately 5 a.m., also to deliver the Des Moines Register. He wore blue jeans, a red shirt, and a gray pullover. Eugene normally delivered papers with his older stepbrother, but again, on this day, he went alone. It's like it's like this person is looking at a pattern or kind of is already stalking these kids well before to see mm-hmm. who they would possibly be with and if they're already not with that person that they have already seen them with previously. Exactly. Like they're like this is they're studying. Yeah. Like and it, like like a premeditated type thing. They're 100%. not like, oh, let's go out and get some boys. They're like, which one are we gonna get next? Yes. Who does he go with? And that's this is methodical. Some, yeah, and something else you wonder is, why are they all two years apart, and what happens in those two years? Mm-hmm. What happens? Yeah. So, um, the Iowa State Fair was in town. So, Iowa gets very populated around the State Fair because it's, like, the one of the biggest state fairs in the country, and also, like, obviously, like, one of the only big things to happen in the Midwest. Fair. So, <laughs> Fair. Eugene, who in his free time enjoyed football, fishing, skating, video games, and TV, wanted to make some extra money. So witnesses say they saw Martin talking to a clean-cut white male in his 30s sometime between 5 and 5.45 a.m. at Southwest 12th Street and Highview Drive. Some stated the two appeared to be engaged in a friendly father-son sort of conversation, and others recalled seeing the teen folding papers and talking to the man sometime between 5.45 and 6.05 a.m. Between 6.10 and 6.15 a.m., Eugene's bag was found on the ground outside of Des Moines with 10 folded papers still inside. When customers called to report not receiving their morning newspapers, the manager went out, found the bag, and delivered the papers. At approximately 8.40 a.m., the search for Eugene began. He has not been seen since. So federal agents at the time there might be, said at the time, there might be a definite connection to the disappearance of another Des Moines paper carrier, 12-year-old Johnny Gosh. So here we loop back to them saying, okay, well, he was, Johnny Gosh's suspect is like, you know, 
mid 40s latin male and here they're saying with a beard right and here they're saying oh he was clean cut he was in his early 30s but the light flicker signal clearly indicates there were two men mm-hmm. so is one of them the hunter the other's the gatherer i mean what's going on here well then yeah what who did they ever identify the person that supposedly came up between those two houses with the johnny gosh case they never said what he looked like uh, I think that was the one who was identified, but they don't know who took him because he took off and the oh, car followed. Okay, so this okay. could be the other guy. Okay, fair. Yeah. So authorities said they were treating the Martin case as a kidnapping and had issued a nationwide bulletin for a man described as between 30 and 40, but again, five foot nine with a medium build. We have a quote here. Generally, the person is an introvert, a loner who may or may not be extra guilt-ridden on what he does, but will not turn himself in. Mm. So this is from Herb Hawkins, a special FBI agent in charge of the Nebraska-Iowa field of office in August 1994. Hawkins also said some useful information was being gleaned from witnesses. None of it panned out, however. Neither boy has ever been found. And, of course, this was in the news as well. And then we have Mark James Warren Allen. He was 13 as well, missing from Des Moines, Iowa, since March 29, 1986. So this was the day before Easter, and he told his mother he planned to walk to a friend's house down the street but never arrived at the neighbor's home and hasn't been seen since. So I have a question for you. Did you ever, like, walk? I know this happened, so for me. On my childhood street, every house had a porch, and... They were all, all the houses were like pretty much identical. Yeah. Like similar styles. That. Yeah. Right? You remember my old house. So my, I used to walk th- three doors down mm-hmm. to our neighbor's house and it would always be like, I'd call them and be like, okay, I'm coming over. Hang up the phone. My mom would stand on my porch and I would go down the steps, couple houses down, up the steps, and their mom would come out and wave at my mom. And watch. Yeah. And watch. And I feel like cases like these influence that. thousand percent. It was, yeah. When my parents grew up, it was always, they played in the street, and mm-hmm. their biggest thing was, you don't come home till the lights turn, the street lights turn on. Oh, wow. So that's like, there was no security, really. It was yeah. just, make sure you don't get hit by a car, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it just exactly. Car! Just, yeah, <laughs> Did you exactly. ever play in the street yes. and it was just car? Yes. So. Well, that, ooh. Oh, my God, I'm trying to move this here. Sorry. Well, that's, that's another thing, is like, you know, people really... I don't know if it's, like, for some people, it's obviously ignorance, right? Like, it'll never happen to us. And then for other people, it's just miseducation, right? They don't know or they don't realize that, you know, things aren't really safe. And there is a kind of a balance between teaching your kids, like, be safe and scaring them. Mm -hmm. And there's all, or just giving them pure freedom. Like, I know as a kid, like, sometimes I would be, like, we always had the door locked. We lived in a fine neighborhood, you know, but even when I was like 16, my dad or my brother was 16, 18, watching me. And my dad was like, lock the door, mm-hmm. which is important. It is. But you don't want to make it walk, lock the door or else you will definitely be kidnapped. Yeah. You know, so there is that balance. I know nothing about parenting, but like that's that's how I would talk to my little cousins. Be <laughs> like, uh, hey, guys, maybe don't leave the door wide open when you're home alone and defenseless. That's you a good just, idea. Just make it kind of a part of your muscle memory. Yeah. Just- normal safety precautions because you just yeah. never know you don't want to be negative and think that everyone's out to get you in the world but you also can't be naive well that's the thing i saw this tiktoker i forget her name um you have you seen her the blue dress and the pearls um 
Is she like, does she kind of give like the Marilyn Monroe sort of look to her? No, I know who you're talking about. But no, so she does safety videos and people are always commenting like, why, why are you so paranoid? You know, you're just scared, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I'm safe. Yeah. Like, you know, because she'll be like, oh, before you get into your car at night, look in the back seat, make sure there's no one in there, which is a reality for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, what to say when people ask for your number instead of giving them your number. And I see these comments that are just like, why are you so scared of the outside world? And it's not. These are helpful tips, primarily for like women who travel alone. This is for you to prepare to be in the outside exactly. world. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, my mom used to say that in the summer when they didn't have school, like she'd wake up and she'd call her friends and my mom would pack her a lunch and say, okay, see you at dinner time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they would just go to the prairie and hang out or the cornfields or the playground or the gravel pit that they filled with hose water and swam in. Holy Midwest. Yeah. And my grandma would just be like, okay, see you later. But then shit like this started happening. So even though my mother was at this point, by the last missing case, she was, um, I think like, she was in college. Mm. So, th- th- anyway, so this is the day before Easter. This kid's saving up for money for the Iowa State Fair. And the case remains unsolved. But the report remains that on March 29, 1986, the day before Easter, Mark James Warren Allen, who we're just, we'll just call Mark Allen, <laughs> told his mother that he would plan to walk to the friend's house and based on previous media reports he is initially thought to be the third Iowa paper boy to vanish without a trace during the 80s and an in-depth Des Moines Register article on Iowa's missing persons was published in August 18th 2013 but it confirmed Allen was not a paper boy in Des Moines so three decades later it's still unsolved and there's still some misinformation out there about he wasn't a paper boy, he was just saving up money, but also he wasn't saving up money, he's going to a friend's house. So the other one... Telephone goes. Yeah, well, there's three whole boys, and they're saying, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's tricky, and it says that the teen was a handful, and he shifted back and forth. Nancy Allen, his mother, admitted that he had been shifted back and forth between her Iota residence and his father's Minnesota home most of his young life, and he had often gotten into trouble. But in late November 2010, a week normally filled with family get-togethers, shopping, and holiday activities, she took time to speak with WHO TV Channel 13 and kind of explain what it had been like waiting so many years for answers and wondering about the fate of a young son who never quite seemed to fit in. Uh, quote, it was hard because he had been living with his dad for a while and then came back and lived with me. His younger brother and older sister were real close and he wanted to be there in tight. They never got the chance for that to happen. So the night before Easter, when he left Southwest Emma Avenue, he went to hang out with friends and perhaps take in a movie just as his siblings prepared for a pizza dinner. Quote, he walked out the door and the kids were getting ready to have pizza and I'll never forget it as long as I live. The last thing he said to me as he walked out the door was, save me pizza, mom. I'll be hungry when I get home. So there was intention on coming back. It wasn't yeah. this troubled child just running away to be rebellious. No, it was, I'll be right back. Yeah. So I asked my mom what she remembered of this because when I asked her about Johnny Gosh, she goes, was that the kid with the phone call? And I, I asked her a little more about 
you know, like what the hell she was talking about. So I literally just gave her my laptop. Mm -hmm. I I went, I gave her my laptop and was like, type. So she says, Johnny's disappearance was a terrible shock to the whole state and even made national news. He was just out delivering newspapers and suddenly he was gone. His wagon full of papers and bag were left behind. No ransom call was received. His parents went on TV several times to plead for his, to plead for his return And his mother, Noreen, kept after the police to keep looking, but they treated her like a, quote, hysterical woman and blew her off. In those days, the the 72-hour rule was still in place, and this has been changed largely due to Johnny's case. By the time they really started looking for him, it was too late to pursue any leads. Local groups held search parties right away, but without any guidance from the police, and even the FBI wasn't very helpful. Noreen didn't give up, and a local dairy company, A&E Dairy, put Johnny's face on their milk cartons. This was believed to be the first time it was done. Some people witnessed a strange van in the neighborhood the morning he went missing. Years later, a man confessed that he had taken part in the kidnapping. He himself had been abducted and placed in a child sex ring. The West Des Moines police never interviewed him. I also remember the Gosh family got a phone call from someone claiming to be Johnny. He would have been about 20 at the time, but that was never confirmed. She told, um, my mom actually told me that the call was supposedly from California. Hmm. Mostly, and then she says, mostly I remember how poorly the police and press treated Noreen, and I admire how hard she worked to find her son and then to help others whose ch- other parents whose children went missing. And it would be interesting if I don't want to say that it wasn't Johnny calling at 20-something years old. Yeah. But if it was, it could be that, especially at the age that he was abducted, mm-hmm. his brain was so easily, it would have been so easily, he would have been easily moldable. Yeah. Like his brain would have been something so impressionable. He could have not realized what, he, he could have realized he was in trouble, but being told something again and again, you start to believe it. You mm-hmm. start to believe that this was meant to happen to you or... Whatever. This is just how life is. Yes. Yeah, like you don't think about the outside world when you're, he was 12. This one was, Johnny was 12, yeah, right? so about yeah. 10 years of that constantly, you start to believe it. And maybe he did call because he was told to call. And he's just pretty much just programmed to say whatever the person abducted him told him to say. Exactly. And he doesn't know how severe um, his, his life is in danger. It's it was him. Exactly. I mean, it's depressing either way, right? Yeah. It's like, is he calling to say, Mom, I'm okay? You know, like he rem- kind of is able to get away. Or is it someone trying to soothe the family? Or is it someone trying to torment the family? Like, what's going on? What happened to all three of these boys? Why were they all two years apart? Yeah. Right? What what what's going on? And, and it's let me it's see. scary. So date of birth, 1960, 1970. So all of these kids were one to three years apart in their date of birth. So they're all around the same age. Yeah, and they all went missing in the same area. I mean, West Des Moines and Des Moines are like two different areas, but not far enough. I mean, imagine if, you know, I went missing and then like in Essex County and someone else from Essex County went missing. You know, or imagine like, imagine I go missing by... I don't know, my college, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine I'm kidnapped from my briefly college campus mm-hmm. and then you get go missing from your college campus. We weren't that far apart. We were in the yeah. same county. But I could see how it would be hard to make those connections too, especially with the time stamp. But I don't know. I don't know if the Allen case was connected. 
Well, it is four years from the first, but it's only two years from the last, which was two years from the first. So there if you that, follow any of that at all. Yes, and the, the ages are close to... One um, was 12, two were 13. All were around five feet, five feet and some change. And so you look at them, they all had like brown, brown hair, hair yeah. that all-American smile, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's disturbing, right? They're all, I, I just... They're cute kids too. It, you wonder... There was, I, as I read more about, particularly the Allen case, there's um, questions about, you know, was it, people speculate mostly just for their own benefit, right? Yeah. They think, oh, the family did it because it's somehow easier to believe. It's always easy to point fingers at somebody and try to push it under the rug after that. It helps you sleep at night. Like, you look at, like, the classic case of John Benet Ramsey. Mm-hmm. I mean, Obviously, since this isn't what that episode's about, we won't delve into it, but the widely believed theory is that it was someone in the family, mm-hmm. which, as when you look at the case, as obvi- you know, as obviously plausible as it is, mm-hmm. it's also easier than just there are sick people out there who break into houses yeah. and take children mm-hmm. or murder children or whatever. It's easier to believe it. A thousand percent. So what really happened? What yeah. really happened? Are, did, I mean, did these kids ever meet? Do you think were they all being held in the same place? Was one of them only alive for two years after, and then they and then, and, they, they, and the then they go to the next for two years, and then they go to the next for two years? So think about it. If it was four years difference between the first one and the second one, then if this person is as fucked up as I think they are, I'd be like, oh, that person's too old. Like this kid's yeah. too old for me now. But and then you kill exactly. Them all, and then you also hear though about like copycats, right? That's part of the reason that part of the reason um, things like police officers and they don't release many details which is one of the keys in the Richard Ramirez case right that's part of why he got caught because of the mayor of San Francisco releasing the key evidence Mm -hmm. of his sneaker part of the reason they don't do this is to avoid letting the criminal know that they're on to them in a specific way and also to avoid copycats so you look at these two paper boys who went disappearing disappeared early in the morning and then you look at this kid who went missing sometime in the evening Mm-hmm. Two of them were on paper route. One of them was on his way to a friend's house. Yeah. But they're both in the same county, right? They're all in the same age. Mm-hmm. What's happening? Is this like they, you know, realized, is, is this, supposing this is the same person, was it that there had begun, like become a pattern? Mm-hmm. And then they out, you know, like outgrew the pa- thought, okay, if three missing paper boys go missing, they're going to be on to us. Or was it someone who kind of, was copycatting, right? Like, who, who, who what knows? After, if this was the same person, why did they stop at three? Or did they never stop? Or were they arrested for something else and they just never admitted to the disappearance of these three boys? Who called the parents? Who had the parents' number, right? Like, How what? You get, yeah, so, messed up. Who knows? Anyways, that's my unsolved mystery. As disturbing as it is, there is kind of the... I don't want to say silver lining because it's not really silver lining, but there's the the benefit of this happened and now you don't have to wait 72 hours. You don't have to wait 24 hours. Yeah. You know, you can wait zero hours and the, the investigation starts immediately for children. Unfortunately, it takes something like this to make people aware of what is right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, now think about it. You drive, you're driving or you're at work and you get an immediate Amber Alert on your phone. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, 
it's like a disgruntled parent who just takes the kid and is like, no, he's better with me, and then they leave, right? Mm -hmm. But better to be safe than sorry. Better to be safe than sorry. Also, if the parent's running away with a kid, do you want the parent with that kid, even if it is a parent? What the fuck is happening? So who knows? You never know. I find it interesting. This is iowacoldcases.org. I, I would be interested to see if there's any, like, NewJerseyColdCases.org. We will look into it. I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, they, and they have all of these things. They have videos. They have by county. They have sections just for homicide, mm-hmm. missing, news. It's a very, I mean... The internet is a crazy place. Honestly. Okay. So my unsolved mystery is called The Valley of Headless Men. Um, that sounds amazing. Imagine men who couldn't speak. Ugh. <laughs> what a dream. Okay, so anyway. Um, the article that I'm going to be reading from is from strangeoutdoors.com. And this was written in 2018. So, more specifically, the Valley of Headless Men is a part of the mysteries at the Nahini Park Reserve in Canada for any of our Canadian boothangs. I hope we have some Canadian boothangs because I, I fucking that. love Canada. I would love that. Uh, Nahani National Park Reserve is in the in the Becho region of the Northwest Territories, Canada, around 300 miles west of Yellowknife and is 11,000 square miles in area. Part of the Mackenzie Mountains resides within it, and the South Nahani River is at its center. It was named a national park in 1976 and a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1978. The park is surrounded by huge peaks and features geysers, sinkholes, deep canyons, caves, gorges, and beautiful untouched forests. Within these stunning vistas lies Virginia Falls, a 96-meter-high waterfall twice as high as Niagara Falls. Holy crap. Which is pretty wild have when you, you think about that. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? I have been. Really? Have you? I've been to Niagara on the lake like three times to see my favorite band. But I've never never been to, I don't think so. When I went up to Buffalo, we almost went, but I hadn't brought my passport. mm -hmm. So I've actually like so close yet so far. I don't know. There's something about experiencing it specifically on the Canadian side. So it's, it really is stunning. You have to go at some point. Yeah. I feel like I'd be terrified of either falling or seeing someone fall. But you know what? So we actually went in through like these tunnels that you're pretty much like, you're not in the waterfall, but like you're You're a part of that. Yeah. And you're super safe. You never feel like you're about really? to fall off yet now. Ooh, And you go on, like, Lady of the Mist, which is, like, this um, this little boat that's actually oh. on the water. And you get super soaked at the end of it. But it's just a cool experience to say that you are that's in. That's, like, with the ponchos and shit, yes. right? Yes. That so sounds cool. I always think of The Office. Oh, love that for them. Anyway, um, so the area is true wilderness and has been largely unexplored as it is accessible only by air, water, or a long overland journey by food over several days. Nahani is from the language of the indigenous Den people that have inhabited the region for thousands of years and means, quote, the people over there, end quote, in reference to a tribe of mountain-dwelling people known as the Naha, who were once known to raid lowland settlements before mysteriously vanishing. There is speculation that they may have been the ancestors of the modern-day Navajo people. Hmm. Over the years, there have been many mysterious stories that have emerged from the area. The names of park areas such as Deadman Valley, Headless Creek, Headless Range, and the Funeral Range relate to these stories and legends. So I'm going to now go into the details of the Valley of the Headless Men, the the McLeod Brothers, and the Lost McLeod Mine. So the First Nations people through oral history speak of an unknown evil lurking within the spectacular 200-mile gorge, also called 
the Valley of the Headless Men, and also known as the most avoided area. The I would avoid an area full of men, honestly. I'm sorry. I'm going to just insult <laughs> men. This I'm going to get canceled! What else is new? <laughs> the name comes from a series of unexplained incidents in the gorge invo- uh, during the gold rush of the early 20th century. So you're familiar with the gold rush, right? Where oh, uh, yeah. Gold? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. History lesson. Two brothers, <laughs> two brothers, Willie and Frank McLeod, left in 1906 in an attempt to reach the Klondike in the Yukon through Nahani. Nothing was heard from them for the next two years, but hmm. there were rumors of them finding a gigantic gold mine. Hmm. Since then, the lost McLeod mine has become legendary, and many have lost their lives trying to find it in the park. In 1908, another gold prospecting expedition found two bodies tied to a tree, then later identified as the McLeod brothers, both of which had been, you guessed it, decapitated. Ooh. The brothers were found by Charlie McLeod, another brother, and he buried the headless men, planting a cross to mark their graves. There were seven witnesses when the grave was dug, all members of the search party. Before their murders, a few trappers and hunters in the area say they saw a third man with the McLeods. Whether it was the third man who cut the heads off of the Mikleodes is still unknown. There was speculation claimed that the mysterious third man was seen trading gold at several Hudson Bay trading posts. The Mikleodes first started prospecting in 1904 through British Columbia and parts of southeast Alaska. Upon arrival in the Nahani country, they ended up on the upper flat river where they found dog rib Indians with coarse gold nuggets, some as large as quarter ounce in size. So fucking massive. And they camped in the spring. Uh, they camped in the spring in the area where they were told the gold came from, and the Mikleodes named the stream the Gold Creek. Hmm. The Indians apparently were not happy with their arrival. Understandable. <laughs> and according to conversations with the Mikleodes, they said the Indians had probably taken the best finds. The prospect was a small one, and the boys, due to some small Indian-made slu- sluices, sluices. Thank you, Lily. To aid in the extraction. I think. <laughs> well, we'll say that. In the extraction of any gold that was, in fact, left. People will tell us if we're wrong. Yes. They were able to fill a toothache remedy bottle and had 10 ounces of gold in a, in a moose hide bag. So they then took the sluices, which were made of hand-sewed uh, hand or whip-sawed local timber, and made a crude box-sized boat to paddle down the Nahani. They were about 20 miles down the river near the Cascades of the 13 Drops which later was renamed to the Flat River Canyon. Hmm. And at this point, they would have had to travel about 110 miles down the Flat River, then 80 miles up the Liard River. So a lot of traveling with this gold. They started out through the canyon, but water entered the boat, and they lost everything except the 10-ounce bag of gold and had to return to Gold Creek. They built another boat out of sluice box planks and a track line from thin strips of moose hide so they can lower their possessions down the worst places in the river. And finally, they were able to make it down the canyon and end up the Liard to Fort Liard. So Willie decided to work a while for the Hudson Bay Company at the fort, but in 1905 decided to head out in search of more gold. And the Leo's Gold Camp in Deadman's Valley was located in the spruce trees on the left bank of the Nahani, not far below the second canyon mountain. One of the McLeods was in the habit of writing messages on trees, and a message was then found written on a broken dog sled runner that read, we have found a fine prospect. Okay, that's so dumb to put, though. It, yeah, you're kind of like, uh, dibs, but, like, yeah. who's going to honor that? I don't... I exactly. Don't. Okay, imagine, like, 
for me, it would be like designer shoes. Free designer shoes here. Don't take them, though. Yeah, right? What would it be for you? If you saw a message written on a tree that someone claimed dibs on, but you wouldn't listen to, like, what would it be? Um, I would have to say... It can't be corny, diamond like diamond jewelry. Yeah, okay. Because I, because I'm, my birthstone is diamond. I love diamonds. Of course. That's, yeah, that's diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so the supposed third man in the party showed up at Telegraph Creek in British Columbia sometime later, tracked by the mounted police, who eventually traced him to Vancouver. It was estimated he had about eight thousand dollars in gold nuggets. Which so that's eight thousand dollars at the time, yes. right? So oh, a lot yeah. of money. That's like Bezos gold nuggets. Yeah. Right. So the Los Miglio gold mine had been the focus of countless searches, and in 1963, the last group of gold prospectors in the area from Europe vanished without a trace. So it just seems like just a whole whirlwind of unlucky shenanigans going on in this vicinity. That's what people say about my existence. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to talk more about other mysterious stories from the Nahani Park Reserve. The the Miglio brothers were like the biggest one, and that kind of was the first recorded report of crazy shit going down in that I was going to ask, was that the first yeah. or, or yeah, like the first known the or first the biggest? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So in 1917, the decapitated body of a Swiss prospector, Martin Jorgensen, was found next to his burned cabin near Flat River. In 1945, the unnamed body of a miner from Ontario was found in his sleeping bag without its head. Trapper John O'Brien was found frozen next to his campfire, matches still in his hand. In 1962... The pilot of a light aircraft miraculously survived a crash unscathed and set about building a camp a short distance from the place where the plane went down. He was so well equipped to survive with food, fuel, shelter, and camp provisions from the aircraft's cargo that he was confident that rescue would come within a matter of days. So he waited and wrote about his experiences in his diary. Many times he watched as searching aircraft flew overhead but none saw him. He was only six miles as the crow flies from his destination, although he was probably unaware of his exact location. For around 50 days, he sat alone waiting for rescue, and then he mysteriously disappeared as the diary entry stopped abruptly. Six months later, his plane was discovered by chance, followed by the camp and his diary. To this day, no further trace of him has ever been found. Oh. Through the years, other camps... So wait a minute, if they, how, do they, how do they know? What? Wait, I'm confused. So maybe I misunderstood. Okay. He go so he's waiting for all these airplanes, right? He's a, he was alone. He was a pilot of a light aircraft. Like he, I guess it was a small aircraft. He was a pilot, just yeah. flying around, and he, fun. but he, bad, bad crash that he miraculously survived. But he was, and no plane saw him. How do they know what happened? Because he wrote all this in his diary. But he if they didn't the find him, how did they find? So oh, the they found the diary yeah. without him, and he yes. went missing. Okay, yes. okay. I okay. thought like, I don't. I Are thought they never. The same page I thought they never found the site, and I was like, well, if they didn't no. come, up, if they didn't find him, That's how did they the find the diary? Thing. That's the whole thing. It's they found the diary later. and not him. Yeah, six months wow. later, they somebody found his plane by chance. Then they followed the camp to uh, followed by the camp to his diary. Got so it. I, everything was found except him. Delete that. I'm just a, I don't know what no, I good, thought happened. Okay, continue. <laughs> so through the years, other camps were found with remnants of bones and scattered equipment. It was as if someone wanted the valley to themselves. Mm-hmm. And some of the deaths were investigated, and it was discovered the prospectors had developed scurvy and died. 
The deaths have been blamed on natives, grizzly bears, fights between prospectors, or just supernatural causes. And attacks by the locals who lived in the valley are most likely as they would not have taken kindly to white men trespassing on their land. Well, that's the thing. What Are they, are they protecting the gold or their land? Is there someone there? Or both, because you shouldn't be taking stuff that's not yours. Says, unlike an only child. Yes. Good for you. Thank you. Good for I'm you. You made it out alive. Yeah. <laughs> we won't but say why, but. <laughs> private information. Yeah. But no, that, that, I've been going back and forth this whole time debating. Was it like natives saying, hey, maybe don't take my fucking land? Mm-hmm. Or was it someone saying, hey, don't take my fucking gold? Or, porque no los dos? I, you know, like. Yeah. But. Don't take my land or my gold. But there is another explanation. So Hmm. about 40 miles from Nahani, a loner named Albert Johnson lived in a crude log cabin. Albert Johnson was a pseudonym, and his true identity still remains unknown. He, too, searched for the McLeod's lost mine. Johnson later became notorious and became known as the Mad Trapper of Rat River. In December 1931, one of the native trappers complained to the local RCMP detachment in Atlavik that someone was tampering with his traps, stripping them and hanging them on the trees. He identified Johnson as the likely culprit. And on December 26th, Constable Alfred King and Special Constable Joe Bernard, each of whom had considerable northern experience, trekked the 60 miles to Johnson's cabin to ask him about the allegations. Seeing smoke coming from the chimney, they approached the hut to talk. Johnson refused to talk to them, however, seeming to not even notice them. King looked into the cabin window at which point Johnson placed a sack across it. The two constables eventually decide to return to Aklavik and get a search warrant. King and Bernard returned five days later with two other men. Hmm. Johnson again refused to talk, and eventually, <laughs> eventually King decided to enforce the warrant and force the door. As soon as he began, Johnson shot him through the window, wooden door. A brief fire, uh, firefight broke out, and the team managed to return the wounded King to Aklavik, where he was eventually recovered. When Johnson was finally cornered up on Eagle River in northern Yukon Territory and the border of the Northwest Territories, the event became a media circus as Johnson eluded the Royal Canadian Mounted Police team, which is the RCMP that I referred to earlier, sent to take him into custody, which ended after a 150-mile foot chase Mm. lasting more than a month in a shootout. Holy shit! In which Johnson was fatally wounded on the Eagle River Yukon. So he died... But not without a fight. Like he, I do love a good like shootout gunfight type of thing. I mean, not in real life, but like the old west. Yeah, like the bang, bang, bang. Yeah, I should I should specify. I do love the story of like an old prospector, or, like the gold rush, like the classic, mm-hmm. like the saloon. Yeah, yeah. Does, did Canadians have saloons? You think like the true like OG Canadians, or was that just like a U.S. like Colorado Why Utah not? type? Moment? Why not? That's a good point. But um. In his possession were found some gold teeth extracted from mouths of prospectors dead in the Headless Valley. So it might be assumed that Johnson was involved in their deaths, um, a theory the Mounties put on file. So pretty much what it comes down to is Johnson could be responsible for some or all of these deaths that have been Mm. put on record. So was he like the mastermind behind it or did he know the mastermind behind it? what could have happened was because he was living out by himself kind of seems like a very introverted man Mm -hmm. he came across these bodies like all right well they won't be needing this gold anymore and not (gasps) being of ethics or morals took it and just grabbed it and went and when he realized 
oh shit, I have this stuff. It's going to make me look like I did this. He, being kind of the savage man that he was, just fucking ran and didn't want to go down without a fight because he always had to survive. Holy shit. I don't know. So there's all there's all these different theories. There's, yeah, again, it's like, are they all related? Is it one? Like, and it goes back. Wow. Holy, my mind is honestly like can't even comprehend this right now. In a, in a good way. In a fucking great way. Like, this guy's a criminal mastermind, maybe. You never know. Or was he, or, ooh, ooh, was it, was it a, what my, I believe my grandfather's friend Frank O'Neill would say, a double reverse, where he did do it and then made it look like he was afraid people would think he did it because he didn't do it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it like like money laundering? Like, you know what I mean? Like where it's clear he did it, but he's throwing in these like fake things. Like he's framing himself. Okay, okay. So it's just right? like there's some, there's some... I don't know why I brought money laundering old. into it because that's not how it works, but it's the first thing I could think of. But is it like clearly making yourself look framed so people will pass over your you know, allegations. That's, that's complex. That's a deep one. How to get away with murder. It wouldn't work, but Legally imagine. Speaking. Legally speaking. I don't think it would work, but you know what I mean? Like saying, oh, they made me a suspect and then framing everyone else as the people who framed you. Mm. So that's a good theory. Mm-hmm. And now I wanted to kind of look into some other theories. Was it paranormal? Was it spooky kooky ooky Oh, well, this is definitely spooky kooky ooky, but... Um, this is more based off of another theory that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. um, about it being possibly uh, indigenous tribes. Okay. So I found this on Reddit, and this was from a contributor named Denzar, and this was written seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So he talks about the Mecleo brothers, the decapitations. He then continues by saying, Nahu tribe disappearance. Hollow Earth Theory and Hot Springs all make this very interesting. First off, tribes don't just disappear like I was telling you about. They either die off or migrate to areas more hospitable, usually assimilating into other tribes. Hollow Earth Theory adds another layer. Of course, the idea that the Earth is hollow is ridiculous, but it points to something interesting about the area itself. The area might be host to massive cave systems. Cave systems could be very beneficial to, say, a tribe of people that is fearful of outsiders after a mass mm. die off, say, by a plague brought by Westerners coming in Ooh. for the Alaskan gold rush in the late 1800s. I love this. The last thing. Well, I don't love what happened, but I love the. Yeah. You know, so the, like, this could be that they were trying to run away from mm-hmm. these Westerners that were, again, taking over their land were plaguing them with these diseases that they had never come into contact with. <laughs> and there's so much of this world that has been yet to explore, especially uh, underneath our water, uh, underneath the ocean, caves True. that have never been discovered yet. So I, it does make sense that maybe these people decided to, they, they found these caves and they decided to build a civilization down there to get away from this plague yeah. that came upon them. Interesting. Um, so the last thing that is of importance to know are the geysers. So natural stream vents keep the place warm year round. And that means the place might be sustainable year round for habitation. Add to the fact that it's a gorge and you have a natural structure to prevent freezing wind from getting in. 
as well as being a relatively uninhabited area of the planet. Mm. So it would make sense that if these people moved into these caves, they would be fine because Mother Nature and the way that the geysers work um, and the natural stream vents, it keeps it warm and sustainable for them to survive and then come out, get their food, and then come back inside. Oh. Um, Off the grid. Then they continue, from what I gather of the Naha tribe, not much, they mm-hmm. seem to be characterized as a warrior people known for raiding. The area sounds like an oasis in a frozen desert created by st- steam vents, as well as having hundreds of caves and caverns. Sounds like a place where people who are familiar with the area could hide out and avoid slash murder any visitors that came poking around, at least until their numbers dwindled to the point where they have cultural collapse. So that is just a theory that I found very interesting that mm-hmm. someone wrote in, and it kind of tied into what we talked about um, in my earlier research. So I definitely think that it could be Johnson that was a part, mm-hmm. because then I, I don't see any other things come into play. I didn't see any other weird things happening in that valley after he was fatally shot. So they could have ended a whole kind of serial killing of people going into that valley because Johnson was the killer. Or Johnson could have killed a couple people, but not. It oh, doesn't explain yeah. the rest of the deaths. Yeah, um, it could be the indigenous people wanting people to stay away from their land because. Well, who would blame them? It's their fucking land. And I don't know if you've seen this picture. I have to try to find it. It's a map of all these hidden cave and tunnel systems mm-hmm. in national parks. Ooh. And conveniently, if you compare it to a map of where a lot of people have gone missing. If you put one on top of the other, it kind of falls into it. All is like the same of where people are missing. Do you think there's like an underground world? It could be. There could be cave systems where people are getting abducted, where they're putting like you know human trafficking, and they're putting. I like that you think of it darker. I'm like, oh, so they ran away. They fled the scene and went. They could. They 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 created their own community. Human traffic. They could have fallen into somewhere and they landed in these caves because it was covered up so well and then they were taken in by people. There's all these different theories. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of at this point up to our imagination until further evidence has been provided. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's that on that. So on that note. What would you, <laughs> real quick, real quick. What would you do? What? What would you do if like, because I'm just trying to imagine, because I can't imagine this. Imagine you went to work one day, right? You're at the gym. Okay. You come back, and there's just people living in your house, treating everything like it's theirs, right? Like someone's just, like, using your Brita. And you're like, well, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, yeah, I live here now. Would you or would you not decapitate them? Are we going back to stabbing a chicken sandwich? <laughs> Mine's a little more... Um, fantastical you know if they were dressed up in chicken sandwich suits it is imagine yeah you come home there's a giant chicken sandwich (laughs) just taking over my fucking nespresso machine (laughs) fuck out of here yeah i feel like you're more territorial over the nespresso (laughs) you have my water but not my nespresso going back to if someone labeled free whatever don't touch it it would be free nespresso pods yeah then I would have to For take me, it them would all. be like free Diet Coke. Oh, 100%. Oh, hell yeah. Free Nespresso and Diet Coke? We're fucked. 
Just take me now. Or, wait a minute. I'm listening. What if the, like, we found a good harvest of gold was, like, a decoy? And then what happened? Like, imagine they take all the gold, and they're like, oh, there's great gold over here so that they can find more gold elsewhere. Oh. It's like you, have you seen, like, those crazy sales when there's nothing good? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Someone already plucked all the good shit. They're in another department by then. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, doesn't Nordstrom have a crazy, like, once a year sale? I know Macy's always has a mm-hmm. one-day sale, like, every other weekend. But I think it's Nordstrom that does, like, this huge sale. And people go out of their way to hide shit beforehand. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild. Do you remember Wizards of Waverly Place, the crazy 10-minute sale? Yes. And they and they would go in and hide shit, and then they're like, oh, yeah, we don't let people in the night before anymore because it's not in the spirit of the crazy 10-minute sale. Oh, my God. Yes, you just unlocked a childhood memory. I, I know. I know. We all had the same childhood. We all had one childhood. I've oh. realized, thanks to the internet, that I've never had a single original thought in my life. Did you ever notice that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, neither have the people who said it. I feel like... A lot of alleged content creators just find things from... Have you noticed, like, the meme pages that just post tweets, but it's black text on a white background? Yeah. And it's never... It's it's always funny how someone could actually believe that these meme pages can be that funny on their own. Well, as someone who does create memes, they I am this funny on my own. You are. But tell me that the memes that you use, like when we use them for just ghoulie things... You're using a picture for our memes that was inspired by another meme. True. The no, the context like of the meme shoots. format. Yeah, I do. I'm not gonna lie. The meme app that I pay four ninety nine <laughs> a month for, um, does offer layouts of other memes. Like um, none of I'm not gonna lie. None of my memes are original. I sent you one the other day that I made in the back. That's what I made in the back I of an Uber. I think I made that in the back I of an Uber that. from what I told you I shouldn't have done, and. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you committed a fucking crime. I, you know what? I commit crimes against myself. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Self sabotage from being my friend is just like learn from me. That's what I tell the young hostesses that I train. I thought you were about to say young hoes, but no, I do make memes about things, but they're always based on other memes. Like my dream, I'm not going to lie to you. My dream is to become a meme. Like. A really candid photo of you. Yeah, like Kombucha Girl. She was working at a bank. Kombucha Girl used to, I think she was like an auditor for banks. She was like a customer service person. Some kind of shit she worked for a bank and was like, what? Like, I don't have to do this? I could just be funny for a living? Imagine. Imagine one day. Now, I do also imagine just like myself living in infamy. That's how I imagine myself. Like, I get like hashtag Lily is over party trends on Twitter. And for you, you, it's great because the podcast blows up. Um, but for me, it's terrible because everyone hates me. Hashtag free Rebecca, maybe. Oh. And then we bring And then on. Inside the Ring blows up, which we all know is the real podcast. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting? Hmm. I love Inside the Ring, and it's great to kind of have that solo project, but nothing ever beats recording with you, Lily. You have and to I say think, that. And I, and I truly think it's because we start recording, and I... None of this, guys, is ever rehearsed. And I, no. I I feel like that's evident enough in these episodes, but I really cannot stress enough how unrehearsed this is, and we really don't know what's going to come out of either of our mouths. That's why you hear this moment sharp cuts. Like, sharp. 
like sharp cuts is usually because one of us says something that should Super not be heard. Fucked, yes. I think there might just be one a few moments ago, and that one's on me. But <laughs> I'll see if we leave it in or not. We'll see what happens. But every now and then I do. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I don't listen to the finished product, and it's because frequently, and it's because I hate the sound of my own voice. Oh, me too. Really? Oh, me too. I think you have the better podcasting voice. Absolutely. I've not. got a face for podcasts, but Absolutely you have not. you have the voice. Absolutely not. Your voice is very rich. It's inviting. I think that people listen and they enjoy hearing cuz we have two different types of voices. Yeah. I the one thing I don't like about my voice and I feel like it's something that I try to be more mm-hmm. aware of is I feel like I have more of a nasally, like I kind of drown out my word. like I go uh, uh. And I want to work on that more. Mm-hmm. But that's just also my voice, and I don't want to I put on a fake I love your voice. I love your voice. I Thank feel you. like my voice, and I know no one likes the sound of their own voice, yeah. except for, like, I think you have a very you know, clean, sir. fun, energetic voice. Like, it's very entertaining to See, listen to See, I think my stories. voice is too intense. Really? Now, I can't help how I speak. What do you mean intense? Like, I feel like my voice comes out of my body very harshly, you know, like, yours just flows, you know, like a Michael Buble type voice when you're like, oh, yes, he was kidnapped after raping and pillaging a whole <laughs> population. And I'm just like, hey, the guy got killed! <laughs> like, mine, like, I, I love speaking, but I hate hearing myself talk. Like, I can't... Everyone thinks their voice sounds terrible because, and I think the reason that it sounds terrible is because it's not what we expect because our voice sounds in our ears completely differently than it sounds over a recording. Yeah. That being said, I feel like my voice is a lot more, like I emote more through my vocalization and how I say words than the words I use. Mm -hmm. Whereas your words, you know what you're thinking because you can put one thought together. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Not all the time. I don't know. I just. What was the point of this tangent? I don't know. I. It's an unsolved mystery. True. <laughs> I, I'm gonna so watch BuzzFeed Unsolved for the rest of the night. Oh, I feel like watching it too. Yes, we have to. Oh, you guys! Before we finish the episode, okay. So there's a, a show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I think it's originally it's on Paramount, like the the streaming. Site, Paramount, Paramount Plus. Yeah. yeah. So it's a show called Evil. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the first season on Netflix, and currently the second season is streaming on Paramount Plus. So I have to watch that at some point. But mm-hmm. I'm waiting for all the episodes to come out so I can binge on binge on yeah. Paramount. But pretty much, evil it battles between like religion and science, and so it kind of goes Ooh. back and forth between the two of like how sometimes science can explain things, but then there is like that un- that bit of the unknown where mm-hmm. it could be. Something that sounds amazing. Yeah, and it's a it's a team of an assessor from the Catholic Church who assesses different cases on whether or not the person is possessed or some situation involving the devil or mm-hmm. something unearthly. Uh, a child psychologist who mm-hmm. is strictly science based, mm-hmm. and then another guy who is more science based as well, but he's a techie guy. So if there's ever creaking going on in the house, he debunks it right away. I love so, that. So it, this it, sounds amazing. Yeah. These People all have different mindsets, but they all work together. Uh, and kind of the, their differences and views on life are really what helps them make these cases successful. Hmm. And it's pretty much the development of this team and the, in the cases that they go on together and um, just a bunch of other 
devilish things going on. I in love the that. Yeah. So I, check it out. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's I, a definitely a binge worthy show. I love um, learning about, because I'm a history nerd, right? Mm-hmm. So I love learning about like the history of religion. Mm-hmm. And then you see the role it plays in real yeah. life. Like how they say people who are um, possessed tend to speak Latin. And during, yes. during um, exorcisms, they will speak Latin. And you like look at the root of it and everything and kind of obviously like we can't go into that whole soapbox now, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But then if you look on the science part of it, there's a psychological disorder in your brain where if you are someone that is someone that has studied the Bible before, things that you remember in your brain, but like it's an it's a memory a part of your brain that's mm-hmm. hasn't been unlocked before. Mm-hmm. If you become into like the psychosis, it unlocks mm-hmm. from that part of the brain and then mm-hmm. people start speaking latin or whatever language that you mm-hmm. taught at some point and it does seem like you are experiencing a, a, a paranormal demonic possession but really it's just a, a, a psychological meltdown that you're in interesting yeah i mean unless that's something that gets explored in the show well i i remember hearing about this i think it was ghost hunters that talked about um something a trick your brain has to make sense of things mm-hmm. and it's some kind of like i don't know if like the the word anthropomorphic applies, but it's like your brain naturally will make faces out of things okay. to try to recognize yes. them. So it's similar. They, I think they compared it to like when you see someone who looks like someone else and then other people don't see it because it's your perception of the person. Yes. You know what I mean? That was for um, That makes sense. But it's fascinating how like, how complex the brain is. Yeah. You know, as someone with a rather complex brain, I think <laughs> I have a, grasp of how much is unknown about the brain like and my brother talks about it a lot about how you know we know what happens but we don't know why it happens and I feel like I know this goes into like a more spiritual like mm-hmm. sort of like maybe kind of tin hat-ish but mm-hmm. I I started kind of coming up with this concept of mm-hmm. all of our realities are different so like right now we see this wall right now mm-hmm. and we could tell that it's kind of like an off-white kind of color. But your off-white it's might look different, different to mine. my, yeah, like. And people, I feel like, fail to realize that, that everyone's realities are different. And so our theories on things that happen in our everyday lives are never all going to actually be the same. We're all mm-hmm. kind of in our own universes, really. Yeah. Like, when I see the sky as blue, your blue could be my red. Yes. I remember, actually, I think having that conversation with, um, one of the girls who's now my roommate. No way. One of my roommates. Yeah, when we were in like middle school, was like, did you know that ball? And I remember being like, that's kind of trippy. Like it's crazy and might not be true, but at the same time, who am I to say if that's true or not? You can't. So bottom line is the brain is fascinating. Everything's an unsolved mystery if you think about it hard enough. And I think it's only a matter of time until, you know, the world ends and we kind of figure out what's running everything you look at everything happening ouch do you think the world's gonna end soon i hope it doesn't i could see it ending i hope it doesn't i don't want to manifest that yeah i don't want to manifest that i feel like there's so much good to be done in the world a woman sat at my desk last week and told me that she thought the world was gonna end that's hard and that was because her um paperwork her address said av instead of avenue Oh, well, fuck, then, yeah. Everyone, she scribbled all over shelter. it. She scribbled all over it. I want it. And this is why I don't get mail. And eventually, honestly, mail's going to end and the whole world will be over. I was kind of nervous about her. That's definitely, a, that's definitely a start. Well, she told me she didn't want me to have her email address, which I understood, but I have her social security number, so. 
That AOL account's looking pretty, <laughs> pretty good right now, Dory. Like they sit down, they give you your social security number, and they go, but I don't want you to have my phone number. <laughs> the phone number you can change in like two minutes. Okay. Well, on that note, Boo Thanks, thank you so much for listening to this crazy Unsolved Mysteries episode of Just Ghouly Things. So, uh, Lily, without further ado, would you like to shout out our socials? I, I, it would be an honor All right. to do it again. <laughs> for the 16th time. All right, you guys can follow us on Instagram at... Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca River and... At Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Ghouly Things Podcast group. Donate to that Patreon. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Buy that super spooky kooky ooky merch <laughs> at... Um, tpublic.com by searching Just Ghouly Things Podcast or rebeccaruber.com slash shop where you can find all of her merch. You're a real one, Lily. Thank you. What can I say? And if you or someone you know has a paranormal story that they would like to share on our wonderful show, feel free to email us at justghoulythingspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you haven't rated us five stars and reviewed us. What the fuck are you doing? Go do that now. I talked to God. Did we talk about this on the last episode? Probably, and I'm going to reiterate it. Fucking rate us five rate, stars and no, review us. Rate us five stars. I got a guy on a date once. Did yes. I tell you this? Yes. Yes. That yes. Was the last so episode. if my if my bumble date can give us five stars, you can give us five stars. Thousand percent. If you're on the bus right now, take the person and you don't have an iPhone. Guess what? Someone on the bus has an iPhone. If you're on the subway. Yeah. I mean, that's a good conversation starter if you ask me. The train, yeah. If you see a handsome stranger on the train, just say, hi, I see you have an iPhone. I need to rate my favorite podcast five stars. And And then then he goes, what podcast? And you say, Mm -hmm. oh, and then you start talking, and then we get invited to the wedding. I'm here for it. Uh, Oh, and speaking of which, um, maybe by the time we air this, we'll be before Ashlyn's wedding, but... Um, we do want to wish one of our boo things, Ashlyn Hale. Oh my gosh, and congratulations! OG. Yes, congratulations, Ashlyn. I hope you made it to the end of this episode without getting frustrated with us. Yes, um, and we hope you enjoy your gift. I don't know if she's gotten the gift yet, so I don't want to give it away. Yes. But we sent you a gift, and we hope you enjoy it. We send you all the best. Oh, yes. oh my gosh. Can't wait to see the pictures. Oh, my God. I'm so all about these. You know, okay. So, as you know, Rebecca's engaged because I don't shut the fuck up about it. I was in the hospital. I told my nurse. Oh, my God. I told a customer. So, I had, okay, yeah, I told my nurse. I don't remember how it came up. And then I told... Who was it? I told um, a customer. So I had this customer, a young couple at my desk. And I was like, oh, what are we, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just doing this, like, thing, like, what are your savings goals? And they're like, well, we're saving up for a wedding. And I went, stop it. When's the wedding? My best friend got engaged. <laughs> and they were like, when? And I was like, oh, my God, a couple months ago. So fucking, I love you. <laughs> I was so excited to tell these strangers who don't even know you. Everyone in... Your life, every every everyone here, you you deserve a lily in your life. You do. Stop. I'm getting only ads. the best. Let me pull up Instagram right now because I'm so scared. I Are get you getting wedding ads. I get wedding ads. Even, I love how as soon as you pull up your Instagram, my face. Well, that's because I was showing. That is true. You were showing. But like, okay, so Amazon ad, that's fine. Okay, that's an app that you can wear to one of my one bridal of events. Your bridal so cool. events, American Eagle. Okay, I have been doing a lot of online shopping, but like my explore page is mostly bridal things. If I open up, like, it's mostly it's my Facebook, Facebook. I, a lot of. 
Facebook, I get a lot I of. I get, like, Zola and ads, stuff. You can yeah. sponsor us, Zola. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, anyways, I get a lot of my YouTube ads. It's, like, wedding shit. Because, like, I'll, I'll sit down at dinner sometimes with my parents. They'll be like, I'll talk about recording, and my parents will be like, what's the latest on the wedding? Like, it's so bizarre. Like, we're so in I weddings. I have become ingrained in the Baldessari culture, and I am absolutely honored. Will, yeah, it, further developments to come. Yes. Can't wait to talk about that. As soon as it gets approved, I'm, like, all, all about it. All about or it. Or denied. And Either way, it's happening. Yes. All right, boo Thanks. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye. Bye.